Good afternoon and welcome back to the Swiss Sports Show. It has been a while, but in the conclusion of this NBA season, we've reached our climax with the NBA Finals being a matchup between the Phoenix Suns and the Milwaukee Bucks. So today, as we've done with the last couple series, we're going to predict the outcome of what's going to happen. My prediction, again, my opinion entirely, uh, you have every right to disagree or agree. But first off, before we even get into it, I'd like to say what an interesting season. Uh, it's been quite chaotic, you know, the compression of the schedule for the NBA to get back on their regularly scheduled timing has certainly took its toll on teams as we've saw a drastic uh, increase in the number of injuries. And not only just the injuries, but injuries to key, key players. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, obviously, LeBron James, Jamal Murray. Almost every single star on a meaningful team has gone through a good amount of injury throughout this season. And, you know, a lot of people want to use that as a reason to put an asterisk next to this season, similarly to how uh, people put an asterisk next to the ring from last year. But I'm here to deny that. I think the fact that teams can go through many injuries and you know, people say the Suns got the benefit of not having to deal with Kawhi, not having to deal with a healthy AD, dealing with a recovering LeBron James. These are just pathetic excuses, in my opinion. Yes, you know, in my opinion, if the Clippers were fully healthy with a Kawhi Leonard, they perhaps would have won the series. But the best ability is availability. And that's not to sound ignorant of the compression of the season and the effect that it has on players. But it's more so that every single championship run in NBA history has had some form of injury or some form of luck added to the winning team. Even take it back to last year, discrediting the bubble, the Lakers played a Miami Heat team that had an injured Goran Dragic, who was maybe their best scorer in the playoffs. I know he was leading in points per game. They also had Bam, who was hobbled. You know, so you can look at any single ring in history and point to some form of luck. Obviously, the most memorable one that people want to say was entirely luck-based was Kawhi Leonard's ring in Toronto, you know, going up against a team that had an injured Klay Thompson followed by an injured Kevin Durant or the other way around. I can't think off the top of my head. But we should not discredit this whoever wins this NBA champion. Because first off, I think a championship between the Bucks and the Suns is absolutely amazing for the game of basketball. It's a matter of fact that, you know, as much as I love the game of basketball, as much as I love the NBA, it does get tiring see, seeing LeBron versus KD or LeBron versus Steph, LeBron versus Kawhi or, or whatnot over and over and over again. And that's not to diminish their greatness. Uh, it's absolutely amazing what LeBron has done, you know, dominating the Eastern Conference, going to the West, winning a ring. You know, KD has been in multiple finals, the, the Steph Curry Warriors dominating the, the parts of the era. But it's good to see a fresh change of scenery. That's why I was really excited for the conference finals, being that none of the four teams had won a championship at least since 1971, which was the Milwaukee Bucks. So this ring for the city that gets it is going to have such a spectacular meaning where it felt like we had matchups where 
the team, well, one of the teams just kind of knew they were going to win, right? Everyone, like, when Toronto won that ring, it was so special because, first of all, obviously, it was Toronto's first win. But no one expected Toronto to beat the Golden State Warriors. Even, like, you know, regardless of injury, no one expected that to happen, especially if they were going up against a, a fully healthy team, which is totally understandable. I mean, the Warriors were maybe the most terrifying team ever constructed. Uh, with Kevin Durant, obviously. So, I just want you, when you put an asterisk on this championship, I just want you to think what this ring will mean to A, the city of Phoenix, or B, the city of Milwaukee. Because it's going to be marvelous as how special it is. And it's a beautiful thing for the game itself because you don't typically see these small market, mid-market teams being able to contend with some of the big dogs, you know, the markets of LA, the market of Brooklyn, you know, these are big media markets and places where stars want to go, even Miami, for example. And there's always these teams that seem to be left out of these free agency discussions. Milwaukee and Phoenix have been those teams in the past. But both these front offices did a great job of constructing their roster to go on this championship run. You know, the Bucks won against my Atlanta Hawks without Giannis in the last two games. And, you know, then everyone wants to create some stupid narrative that, oh, maybe the Bucks are better without Giannis, which is absolutely foolish because Giannis is a back-to-back MVP and actually statistically was better in this season than either of his MVP seasons. So throw that out the window. It's the matter of the fact that the Bucks. Uh, without Giannis, we're kind of forced to be coached. As you guys know, I'm very critical of Mike Boonholzer. I do not think he's a good NBA coach, but when push came to shove, he did do his job. He used his team correctly, which is something you kind of wish that he would do more often. And this is going to lead into a future point, but the point I'm trying to make is the Bucks have always had a very good roster. In my opinion, going into the playoffs, it was the deepest team in the league. And I, I reiterated that back in my first round predictions that I'm saying it now. I think a lot of people got carried away by Atlanta's kind of supporting cast because one, the media loves to write off Trey Young uh, because he's been proving them wrong since day one. And that's not even a topic for today. I don't even want to get into that. But with the kind of outbursts of Bogdanovich in the first round, Herder in game, second of the se- game seven of the second round, and surrounding pieces, you know, Cam Reddish coming alive. First of all, shout out Cam Reddish for coming back, man. That was beautiful. Um, but no, the, the problem with Atlanta is, yes, they have a talented supporting cast, but it's not always consistent. And with Milwaukee, I feel like you always know what you're going to get from guys like Bryn Forbes, P.J. Tucker, and uh, who's that guy? Patrick Connaughton, for example. I thought Milwaukee's bench and Milwaukee's team overall was the best constructed to go on a playoff run. I told you guys in the Brooklyn series, again, which was largely kind of slewed due to injury, but I did think that Milwaukee had the best shot of knocking off Brooklyn out of any remaining team in the playoff competition. And that's exactly what they did. So really to get back to the main point of teams being able to construct Uh, good rosters despite not being an attractive position. Let's flip the side and go to Phoenix. Phoenix had a young, budding team that was 
really just dying at the chance to make the playoffs after last year's spectacular bubble performances where they just came half a game short because Karis LeVert missed a game winner against the Portland Trailblazers. So what did they do coming into this season? They made two key additions, Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. These guys, well, Chris Paul obviously is a big name, but he was involved in a trade. You know, it's not him declaring that he specifically wants to go to Phoenix. Jay Crowder, another guy that came to Phoenix after seeing kind of the roster buildup. You can make your team attractive without a big market if you have a fundamentally sound roster. Atlanta, which is a mid-market, which I think is going to grow into a big market, now presents itself as an attractive option because front office, coaching, ownership, all look to be in sync with this roster. You know, even even another team that uh, I'm actually just blanking out right now. But um, my, my point is that the way that these teams that aren't exactly in this, you know, superstar caliber franchise type thing, they're able to now succeed because they have a, like the front offices of the NBA have gotten so much smarter. They've, you know, some have gone too overboard with analytics and, and failed. Some have gone too overboard with, you know, the fundamentals, old school style and failed that way. But the GMs that are finding the balance of analytics as well as just raw visual data, like what you see in players are finding the most success. Guys like James Jones, Travis Schlenk. And I think it's just absolutely beautiful for this game. So now let's actually get into the main point of today. And that is the Phoenix Suns and Milwaukee Bucks, which kicks off today. And I'm absolutely ecstatic to watch this game. And I believe Giannis's status was updated earlier. So give me just a brief moment to pick that up. But regardless, you know, I have one thing in mind, and I have one thing on Suns Info. No, but Giannis is hoping to be cleared today to play game one against Phoenix tonight. And when you look at the injury, that's when you think, like, wow, this guy really is a, a Greek freak, quote-unquote, right? If you saw that injury, it looked absolutely terrible. His, his leg bent backward like a... Uh, like a chicken leg. It, it was kind of... It looked really bad. I, I really thought he tore something. Again, I'm not a doctor, so maybe it just looked bad to me and I overreacted. Which is very possible. But I, I think it's amazing that Giannis is going to come back. I think Giannis can still give people problems with an injured uh, knee. Just because, again, you really cannot teach that size and speed. And... and Everyone that's critical of Giannis in these playoffs, right? You know, everyone's seen the meme of him trying to ISO Blake Griffin and failing. Given, that was pretty ugly. You know, the multiple airballed free throws, the free throws that go past 10 seconds, airball three, whatnot. But when you look at the raw data, Giannis statistically is having an all-time playoff run that was cut short uh, because of the injury, but now looks to be resumed. And... I really do think that the Bucks have, this is the Bucks' chance to get the ring. And what's interesting about this matchup is you, it's really hard to stick to the script of uh, matchup data, player-on-player -player data that I've used for almost every round because you have two teams that have a massive chip on their shoulder. And by chip, I mean by teams, I mean two specific players. 
Chris Paul and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis Antetokounmpo is on a historic resume pace to be an all-time great. His resume literally lines up with the likes of Michael Jordan and LeBron James. But Giannis is constantly disrespected in the media. You know what would change that? A ring. People will overlook his offensive shortcomings and occasional defensive lapses. Again, very rare defensive lapses, which for whatever reason the media wants to really shine a light on. And recognize him as a champion. That's what needs to be done. It's the same thing that haunted Dirk in his career. You know, especially after that season where they won 67 games and were bounced in the first round by the We Believe Warriors. Everyone wrote off Dirk Nowitzki. It wasn't until 2011 where he led one of the greatest finals runs against an all-time team in the Miami Heatles and won that ring that people really thought so much higher of Dirk, even to the point of possibly overrating him. And I just want to say, I do want to see Giannis win that ring, but on the flip side, we have Chris Paul. In my opinion, the greatest point guard I've ever seen. The greatest point guard of all time. Just my opinion, again. And this is not to be some sort of hot take stuff, but I can't rank someone as the greatest of all time when I haven't been there to experience it. So I have utmost respect for Magic Johnson and the things he's done as far as the game goes. But I was not there to witness it. And, you know, although, you know, you watch film online, you, these full games are available to you. There is no player to me that I've watched like a Chris Paul. I've watched Steve Nash, uh, a Jason Kidd. I don't even think John Stockton is in the same realm as Chris Paul personally. And I would have to say Chris Paul is, is the greatest point guard of all time. And when I say that, I think people, you know, say, okay, but he doesn't have a ring. He can't be the greatest of all time. When I look at an individual basketball player on an all-time ranking, I take what I take individually. Substance over, you know, awards or whatever. And I do think Chris Paul substantially just has a massive talent gap between him and some of the other point guards. He's the perfect. There's a reason he's called the point guard. He's the absolute perfect point guard that the NBA has seen. Three-point shooter, defensive menace, irritant, unreal playmaking ability. He really does it all. And the fact that he still has this prolonged success, which I don't think we recognize enough because LeBron is equally, you know, as successful, if not more, at this stage in his career where he's still playing at an elite level. That's one thing, because LeBron is just a different breed. But for Chris Paul, who's not a physical specimen that LeBron is, he's a small guard. And small guards tend to have shorter lifespans in the NBA. You know, they tend to be more injury prone. Unless they have signature traits, they don't really stick around for the long haul. That's why there's only like a couple true point guards that are in the league today. Chris Paul, Westbrook, um, Trey Young, John Morant, De'Aaron Fox, James Harden is kind of on edge. But those guys really have signature defining traits as to what makes them special what makes them stick around and we haven't even you know seen John Trey for elongated period of time so we can't even really say that but for you know Harden Russ and Paul specifically and, and Russ who is already taking somewhat of a decline in his career this prolonged success is, is amazing and I think even more so because again Chris Paul's stature 
and physical build. You know, he's bounced back uh, so many times through multiple kind of things of adversity, multiple playoff disappointments, and he's finally here in the finals. And I just don't know if I see Chris Paul allowing the Suns to lose. Now, I do think the Suns are a bit overmatched in this situation, but again, that's all on paper. And we know despite Chris Middleton's rather good playoff standing this year, he is prone to really terrible nights. And that can't happen for the Bucks in this series. Chris Middleton needs to, you know, be that dude. And he's shown it. He's shown that ability when Giannis has gone down. But we need more of that. And we need that. And that's going to come at a trial because he's not being covered by a Kevin Herter anymore. He's not being covered by a Bogdan Bogdanovich. Cam Reddish only covered him for about maybe three or four quarters total this series because he only played two games. He's going to be covered by Mikal Bridges. Mikal Bridges is absolutely sensational on the defensive end. And I truly believe that he will cause problems for Chris Middleton. And even beyond a, 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 a Mikal Bridges, you have to deal with a Jay Crowder, a Cam Johnson. These guys are really smart players that are coached to a T by Monty Williams. Jay Crowder doesn't even need coaching. He's just He's been in the league for so long, he understands how to really get up in your face. And even beyond that, you have Giannis, right? Who was instrumental in stopping Giannis for the Heat? It was Jay Crowder. Jimmy Butler gets all of the credit. Given I totally respect Jimmy Butler, the Heat going to the playoffs was an absolute miracle last year. And it was absolutely fantastic. But a lot of the collapsing in the paint that was done by Spolestra was ran through Jimmy Butler, Adebayo, and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder will get up in your grill and he will irritate you. And Giannis has always been a humble, kind of, you know, passive-aggressive kind of guy. But I do think Jay Crowder will be able to get under his skin. And that's where the Bucks really run into problems. You don't want Giannis playing out of control. You don't want Giannis, you know, trying to run through himself. You don't want Giannis taking mid-range pull-ups. You don't want Giannis taking threes. And... On top of that is just the Suns play way more mature than their age shows. They have a bunch of young guys on this roster, but they know how to talk trash and get under player skin. You know, it's very similar to the Hawks in their run that they were talking all this trash, but they were backing it up. That's exactly what the Suns have done, and they, they went further by making the finals. And on top of that, for the Bucks, obviously your number three score is Drew Holiday. How successful will Drew Holiday able to be against the likes of a Chris Paul and who will likely be aided by Devin Booker? And Devin Booker is not considered a good defender in the league, which is understandable. I think he still has a lot of ways to go as far as off-ball defense. But on ball, he has turned into a pretty solid, I would say slightly above average, maybe at average on-ball defender. And I do think that with his size, he will be able to help Chris Paul and Drew Holiday when need be. Or, you know, help McCall on, on uh, Chris Middleton when need be. And that's when the Bucks need these guys to step up. Like a Bryn Forbes, Brooke Lopez, P.J. Tucker. They have to hit their shots. And more specifically, I'm pointing at Budenholzer. Budenholzer went through this weird thing where Bryn Forbes just played the most inconsistent minutes possible. The Nets game, Nets series, he wasn't a factor. Hawks series, he was a factor. Heat series, he was a major factor. 
they have to put Brent Forbes up. Like, he's a fantastic shooter. Um, aside from that, you know, Brooke Lopez, I think you really saw, saw an expanded game of his arsenal. And I think you stagger minutes between Giannis and Brooke instead of playing them together, which for whatever reason Budenhoser likes to do, and play Bobby Portis, which is not something we saw in the Nets series, which again was confusing despite Bobby Portis being a poor defender. All in all, I think that one, the Suns have the coaching advantage. Monty Williams is a significantly better coach than a Mike Budenholzer. Secondarily, I think they match up very well for the reasons that I just listed. I think every single player on the Suns can get into the head of the Bucks. Who's going to do that on Milwaukee? Probably just Portis and P.J. Tucker. They don't have these real edgy guys. I do think Drew Holiday will do a good job on a Chris Paul, even though I also said that he would do a good job against Trey, but Chris Paul doesn't have the explosive kind of burst that Trey Young has uh, in this day and age pre-injury. And Drew Holiday will be able to keep up with him. So while Drew can, I think, limit him from a scoring perspective, Chris Paul is a generational playmaker. He'll know what to do. Devin Booker, who has been a little up and down, I think, in the playoffs. You know, he's had a couple inconsistent games, a couple monster games, right? He's going to have to make his shots. I think that goes above anything. So I know I've said a bunch of stuff today, and I know I haven't given a clear kind of indication on what side I'm leaning. And that's really because I don't know which way to go. Like, I, I guess I'm not supposed to say that being the guy that's hosting this show, but it's hard to predict a matchup where one team has the roster advantage, but the other team matches up well and has a better coach. And I know that sounds like 2-1, to one, the Suns should, should be the easy choice, but it isn't. Because who's going to stop Giannis, realistically? DeAndre Aiden? And alternatively, is DeAndre Aiden going to you know perform at the level that he's been performing the entire playoff? He hasn't really gone up against a, a super defensive big man till this point. You know, AD was a bit hobbled, although he did show the ability to dominate AD in some stretches, which was really wowing. Um, but he's going to go up against a trio of Giannis, likely P.J. Tucker, and Brooke Lopez. All very apt defenders. And I think they could cause problems for Aiden. So, and, and Aiden is absolutely vital to this team's success, which is insane to think about when you were going into the playoffs. But Aiden really does do like amazing things. First of all, his field goal percentage is absolutely unreal. And that's not a stat that I put too much stock into. But, I mean, he's literally just unreal efficiency. And we're seeing him play with a lot more aggression, which is not something I saw in the regular season. And it was something that I was really disappointed that I didn't see. So to see it come out now in the playoffs where everything is at stake, I think is very significant and very, very good to see if you're a fan of the Phoenix Suns. So, again, I know I've said a lot. I probably rambled on. I probably, you know, just gone topic to topic or drifted in between stuff and that's because this this game again these fi- this final matchup absolutely tantalizes me because there's no clear-cut prediction on which way this will go and it really could swing either way momentum is obviously a massive thing in finals and if you have momentum if you steal a game here and there that is massive you know there is always those stats like oh like if you're if you win game one you have a higher chance of winning and it's like a significantly higher chance so I don't know what happens 
and I know I keep saying this, but I will lean Suns in six. And I think it's going to be very tight and competitive. I think every single game will likely go down to the wire because I really do find it really hard to stretch one way or the other. But I think Chris Paul's will to win uh, will just go through the roof. This is likely Chris Paul's last chance. Well, I wouldn't say likely because I don't know what happens next season. But, I mean, think about it. With Brooklyn coming back at full health, you know, LeBron on basically what would be a revenge campaign, as well as what other, whatever other team, like, forms or, or just explodes, evolves, whatever. The Sixers, I think, will come back stronger. The Celtics would come back stronger. The Hawks will grow in age. Um, it's hard to imagine an easy walk in the park for the Suns. I don't want to say it's an easy walk in the park because they've had their fair share of struggles. But it's hard to imagine such a crystal-cut route for the Phoenix Suns to enter the playoffs. And I even forgot to mention, Denver will have Jamal Murray back. And Denver was my preseason finals pick. And I would, I'm probably going to lean with them again going into next season. Um, so, yeah. I will go Phoenix in six here. I think Devin Booker's built for the moment. I think Chris Paul just has an untamed will to win right now. You know, DeAndre Ayton, he's been massive this series. I think he continues to be massive. Jay Crowder, you know, he wants to win a ring so bad. And, you know, he's been to two finals, hasn't won a ring. They have guys that are really dying for their first ring. Like, seriously. And they have a bunch of young guys that would absolutely love it. And I think Monty Williams is the guy to get the job done. I think Devin Booker is the superstar to to really lead this team alongside Chris Paul. And, and my questions about Milwaukee are greater than my questions about Phoenix. Specifically the questions regarding Drew Holiday's offensive uh, success and will it translate against Phoenix. And also Chris Paul, uh, sorry not Chris Paul, Chris Middleton's offensive success and will that translate against Phoenix. Even Giannis, I have questions about coming off that injury. How effective will he be able to be? Is he at full strength? We don't know. And who is going to be that role player that steps up this series like Brooke Lopez did for uh, the Atlanta series? Or does that even happen, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But that's all for today, guys. I'm very excited to watch Game 1. I hope you guys are too. You know, since I'm pretty sure none of us have any stake in this matchup aside from my boy Brendan. I just want to say I hope this is a great finals matchup. I think this really has a chance to be legendary for the sport. That, you know, the guys that are tired of seeing the same teams repeat. Because we've seen those guys, you know, comment like, oh, the NBA is boring. There's no parody. This is the chance for the NBA to show with an all-time uh, series here in this finals. You know, whether it goes six or seven games in close tight-knit games. This is how you draw in a new audience. This is how you expand the game. This is how you bring hope to teams in mid-market franchises that can't build these big three superstar teams that are even like the duos that we see in the NBA today because they just don't have the marketability. This is the finals matchup to inspire hope in these teams. With that being said, I hope everyone has a wonderful night. Hope everyone enjoys game one because you know I will. Peace out.